السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن والاه اللهم صل وسلم على حبيبنا ونبينا محمد في الأولين وفي الآخرين وفي الملك وفي الملأ الأعلى إلى يوم الدين صلاة تنجينا بها من الأهوال والأفات وترفع بها عن القربات We praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we thank Allah azza wa jal for the infinite blessings that he's bestowed upon us and we send our peace and blessings upon his seal of all prophets and greatest creation to ever walk the face of this earth Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam We remind ourselves that every time and each time we say sallallahu alayhi wa sallam it is a means of uh, us getting closer and nearer to Rasulullah having more love for him sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sending our peace and blessings upon him uh, you know uh, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered us to do so uh, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam we recognize that the closest ones to him sallallahu alayhi wa sallam on the day of judgment are those who say sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the most meaning that they have the most amount of love for him and that this love is not just uh, something that is uh, you know shown verbatim, shown via words, it is something that's manifested into our actions. Is this on? And we recognize uh, that every time we step foot in the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's an opportunity for us to revive and rejuvenate our relationship uh, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, with our connection. And the best way to do so is to be close to his seal of all prophets, وسلم, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose Rasulullah for a reason. Um, he put him in a certain place uh, to receive revelation for a reason. Um, everything that happened, the way that it happened, and the manner that it happened, at the time that it happened, and the place that it happened, was ordained by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, through his infinite wisdom. Uh, ultimately under his divine uh, decree and destiny. And we've began the conversation. Uh, we still haven't even entered the, the life of Rasulullah uh, because there is a lot to be said uh, prior to understand the circumstances of the society, the civilization that was going on during the time of Rasulullah so we can really truly understand why is it so significant that Allah chose this place, uh, you know, Mecca. Allah chose uh, Rasulullah Allah chose, you know, somebody who was, you know, from the Arab, somebody who was uh, from a certain lineage, um, had a certain background. Why all of these are prudent details to, um, you know, us learning about Rasulullah and that within itself being a miracle that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. So our last session, I know it was a while ago, um, we talked about the, geograf- uh, the geographical location of, of, of uh, Mecca, um, that being so very unique um, in terms of trade, in terms of business, in terms of how they survived, uh, you know, uh, and what they had to do basically to, you know, in the region that they were. Uh, and we talked a little bit about the, the historical significance the the genealogical uh, you know um, lineage of Rasulullah uh, the political economic uh, you know even the cultural circumstances we've talked about that and we've discussed that and just to kind of refresh 
our memory um, a little bit. We discussed, uh, you know, uh, Arab and what you know what that means. Uh, we've discussed, uh, you know, the different uh, categories of Arab. Does anybody remember? We've talked about yeah. There are two. There are two categories. Uh, the first is the the ancient Arab, right, or the perished Arab, if you will, and uh, uh, you know the second category is the Arab who remained. Okay, and amongst the Arab who remained, there are two subcategories. Uh, we have uh, what did you say? The pure Arab, very good, and the Arabized Arab. Um, the Arabized Arab, and that's important because Rasulullah came from which uh, which uh, category? The Arabized Arab, very good. Uh, that's where Rasulullah uh, came from. We talked about the Arab, uh, you know, peninsula being the epicenter for trade and uh, business, right? Uh, we talked about you know a lot of history being at that uh, at that place during the time of rasulullah sallam's you know you know birth and even prior before that uh, prior before his uh, his prophethood we talked a little bit about you know the religious uh, you know influence that these people didn't have a religion so how were they governing themselves uh, what was happening it was very tribal based it was very you know a lot of ego was involved, a lot of pride was involved, a lot of lineage and our forefathers did X, Y, and Z. So this is why we're going to do X, Y, and Z um, type of thing. Uh, they didn't have religion. So when religion came, that's why it was so important because for us, religion is everything. Religion dictates not just our worship, religion dictates our economic status, religion dictates how we do business, how we get married, how we have a family, how we raise a family, everything from, from A to Z. So this is why, you know, religion was very, um, you know, significant, uh, you know, a significant uh, milestone for, for, for these, uh, these people. Today we're going to talk about, uh, ta'ala, and kind of begin to get into the life of uh, like right before the the death of or I'm sorry the life of the birth of Rasulullah sallam and before we discuss that um you know from here on out we're primarily for the next you know maybe couple sessions inshallah we'll see we're going to talk about the immediate family of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi uh, becoming more familiar with the immediate family members. So, for instance, uh, the grandfather, the uncles, um, especially the uncles, because they played a, a major role in his life, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And of course, you know, the parents of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and other family members that need to be spoken about will obviously be talked about as they come up and you know within the chronological order of the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Uh, as his children or spouses, you know, talking about his milk mother, his wet nurse, all of these significant individuals, they'll come up in, in due time in the Lahi Ta'ala. And we'll talk about these individu individuals again when they come up in his life. Um, but we're talking about those individuals that need to be spoken about before the Prophet, Sallallahu birth, which is obviously his grandfather, his uncles, and his parents. Okay, so. The first individual we'll talk about is his grandfather, who is, what's his grandfather's name? Abdul Muttalib, very good. Um, but even in talking about his grandfather, what I'm going to do, inshallah, for uh, this week's session is not talk about him so much as an individual, you know, when he was born, where he was born, how he grew up, what his name was, you know, how long he lived. 
But we'll talk about some uh, of that maybe towards the end, inshallah, of this session or, you know, the next session as well in the ta'ala that we have. Uh, and what I'm going to talk about today are two incidents, uh, if you will, uh, the legend of Abdul Muttalib, if you will, uh, the legend of, of how Abdul Muttalib was formed through these two major events, okay? It was established, uh, you know, how it was solidified through these, uh, you know, his role through these major events, uh, you know, that occurred during his life, uh, during the life of Abdul Muttalib. So he was a very important, uh, you know, uh, it was uh, in these, uh, like, a, a significant, he played a very significant role in these two major incidents, you could say, that occurred. And this was pretty much what his lasting legacy was, okay? The first incident, uh, the first situation that occurred during the life uh, of Abdul Muttalib was actually something uh, which we may not see as a major incident, but it played a very pivotal role in the history of Mecca, especially in terms of the culture of Mecca and, you know, even Islamically speaking as well. Uh, you can almost look upon, you know, this incident as something that's foretelling, like a coming sign uh, you know, to the birth of Rasulullah And what was this incident? It was the revival of Zamzam, the digging of the well of Zamzam. Uh, so very briefly, there's a lot of, you know, detailed discussion, but a lot of, of it, it's not really well substantiated. It's not very, you know, authentic. But we do know this, you know, much for a fact, uh, that after, of course, the story of Ismail السلام, being a baby and with uh, you know his his family, his father Ibrahim and his Ibrahim's wife السلام, Hajar uh, where when they you know were left in a valley uh, where there was nothing there, there was no crops, no vegetation, Ismail being a baby, extremely thirsty, extremely hungry, uh, you know, his uh, beginning to cry, his mother Hajar running back and forth uh, between the mountains of Safa and Marwa, you know, and this is the act of Sa'i that we do when we go to Hajj and when we go to Umrah, um, you know, this act that's been basically, uh, you know, taught to us through the Sunnah, through the, you know, in the practices of Hajj and Umrah. She's running back and forth, and Ismail as a child, as a baby, sitting there crying. Um, crying out to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, she's looking for help, looking for somebody to help, but he's crying and literally, you know, uh, he's kind of like hitting his feet against this this area and and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows a spring to gush forth from the ground, from the earth, where Ismail alayhi salam is, um, and that's where the well of, of Zamzam is. Okay, we all know the story. Um, you know, just to kind of really hone in here, uh, Hajar alayhi salam running back and forth, uh, you know, looking for help, knowing that there is no help. There's nobody there to help her. There's nobody there to uh, be there for her. Um, but recognizing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take care of her. Because even when she asked her husband, Ibrahim alayhi salam, she said, did Allah azza wa jal order you to leave us here? And he finally turned around and he said, yes. You know, so then she said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take care of us. So she's running back and forth, looking for sustenance, looking for, you know, uh, for any help that she can find. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of course, is there to help her. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't leave her hanging, you know. And, uh, you know, the, the, the beautiful thing is that 
Sa'i teaches us when we go to Hajj and Umrah, inshallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us all an opportunity bin ta'ala. Anybody been to Umrah before? Hajj? Okay, inshallah, inshallah, bin One day. Uh, you know, you see all these literally hundreds of thousands of people running back and forth between Safa and Marwa. It's like if you're not Muslim, you're like, what the heck is going on here? You know? But all these people are running back and forth. And really, uh, you know, fleeing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah Azza just says, فَفِرُّوا إِلَى اللَّهِ Flee to Allah. And what do we do? We flee from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We flee away from Allah. We turn away from Allah Azza wa Jal. So we turn towards Allah recognizing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is our source of provision, our source of sustenance. And it's a, real, it's a, it's a deep lesson here. It's a, sim, a symbolic lesson in which Excuse me, we have to be able to understand that throughout our lives, what we do, uh, no matter where we're at, what position we're in, how much we are in need, that we turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That Allah azza wa before we turn to anybody else, before we go to any doctor, any therapist, any sheikh, any whatever, we turn to Allah azza wa first and foremost. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a shafi. If he does not heal us, who will heal us? Right? Um, so it's a lesson here that we that we we uh, we kind of re- reflect upon. Uh, anyways, going back to you know this obvious story that we all know, uh, this this zamzam comes gushing from the earth, um, and sometimes you know there are certain incidents which are very spiritual, but they have a great religious and spiritual significance, and you know. What we don't understand is that just like Islam is a complete lifestyle, even uh, spiritual routines and practices like salah, siyam, zakah have very tangible, physical, emotional, psychological, economic, political implications and benefits. Okay, It's a complete merger between the two. So similarly, now that this well, this spring is gushing from the ground to provide water for the mother of uh, Ismail, alayhi salam, and for Ismail himself, right? Uh, this had a political economic implication, okay? And what were those implications of the spring gushing forth? You know, this area now became a, hab- a habitable location. When you have water in an area, people go towards that area, especially living in a desert, right? Water is a sense of survival. So this area now became habitable. It became a place where people could live, where people could survive. So immediately when you have the people of Yemen who are leaving their home due to, you know, uh, number one, uh, you know, the first exodus, them being like literally having to flee for their own safety due to political reasons and whatnot, you know, to, to, to like economic hardship. Uh, there was a severe famine. There was a severe starvation, a drought that was going on in Yemen. Okay, so a large segment of the population leaves Yemen looking for a place to inhabit. And when they come on, you know, uh, you know, upon this valley, uh, that's very open. So it's like open land, you know, it's got water and, you know, there's already a couple families that are already there living there. So it's immediately very inviting to these people who don't have a home. They're looking for a place to stay. So it becomes very inviting to them. You know, it's a place to settle down, to start fresh. Uh, And then later... 
you know, when the flood of Yemen comes and the second exodus happens, the, you know, the second major event in which people flee from, from Yemen, leave, right? Uh, you know, it's a great place to, for them to settle down, to come to, right? To look forward to that we have a place to, uh, to go, right? Now, at that time, again, of course, Mecca is a, it's, it's a, already a very attractive place to settle down because it was, again, the epicenter of business, okay? The spring gushing forth had these types of implications. Not just, you know, we're not talking about just from a spiritual perspective here. We're talking about what it had on, you know, the geographical location itself, okay? Uh, it becoming, you know, a place for survival, a place to live there. So, but what happens next is that, of course, you have people settling down, people living there, centuries go by, uh, a couple centuries go by uh, somewhere along the way. And like I said, it's not very established, but there are some, you know, narrations as to some of the tribes that lived there, like the tribe of Jurhum, uh, you know, that lived there. Nevertheless, you know, somewhere along the way, someone comes, okay, and they seal the this well. So centuries go by after this well was open, and they come and they seal this well. We don't know exactly who or how, okay, but this well was sealed. Um, and basically the gist of the story is that there was a major civil war that was going on, okay? And the tribes and the people that had settled down there in Mecca uh, a couple hundred years later, uh, they're at a civil war with each other. They're fighting each other. Families and tribes are fighting each other over the control of Mecca. Who wants to control Mecca? And one of the tribes that's in control of the Zemzem, well... Uh, you know, what the other tribe does is that, you know, they come there, they put some of their weapons down uh, inside of the well, some of this like this big gold, you know, like swords, like made out of pure gold, all of their, uh, you know, equipment that they have, they extremely valuable stuff, they put it in this well, and they bury this well, and they seal this well to safe keep and to guard all of the things that they have to put those things on you know that on top of the well and to and to bury it in a way that's not recoverable okay you can't find where this well is located and years become you know go by decades uh, you know years become uh, you know uh, decades decades become centuries people uh, even completely forget about the well existing they forget about zamzam completely that it ever that it ever was you know existed okay so now, at the time of Abdul Muttalib, and so literally we're, 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 we're talking maybe a few years before the birth of Rasulullah the people of Mecca at that time, they don't know that there's even a well called Zamzam. They've heard some myths, they've heard some stories, they've heard some, you know, uh, some fairy tales, if you want, uh, if you will, uh, you know, things that, you know, Teta would read to you when you go to bed. Okay, they heard some things about about Zamzam, uh, but in fact, you know, it was a well that existed. They just didn't know, and Zamzam uh, was a well that existed and had very sweet water. It was amazing. It was abundant. It would never run out. This is the things that they heard, you know. But all they knew that this was a myth, and nobody knows exactly. Until one day Abdul Muttalib, they don't know Zamzam exists until one day Abdul Muttalib, he lays down and he says, I, I go home, I go to my room, uh, I fall asleep, okay? And I had a dream 
And in my dream, someone came to me, and even the language that, that he uses in, in, in this narration, right? Uh, he's like, I'm not sure what came to me or who came to me, but something came to me. And that's why many of the scholars, uh, they've not shied away from the fact of saying that maybe this was an angel that came to Abdul Muttalib, right? This was said in the narration. This, they said that perhaps this was an angel that came speaking to Abdul Muttalib in his dream um, and in the message that, he wa- that was communicated to him. So this is, it's almost like a form of ilham, a form of uh, inspiration, okay? Like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is communicating something to a pious, righteous individual, a noteworthy individual, uh, you know, giving him some type of divine instruction, now there's a difference. It's not divine revelation. He's not a prophet, okay? But it was ilham. It was it was like inspiration. It was instruction, okay? It was not wahi. Uh, it's something that's being inspired to him by Allah subhanahu wa taala. Just as Musa's mother was inspired, just as uh, Isa's mother, alayhi salam, was inspired. Uh, it was this type of uh, of ilham. So this divine inspiration. This message is being given to him. And what's told to him in this message? He says, Atani atin He said, somebody came to me and he said, go dig up, which literally means طيبة, uh, something very appealing, very attractive. So the name that's being given to Zamzam, you know, to go dig up something that's very appealing, very attractive. And he responded in his dream. He said, "Wama tiba." قُلْتُ وَمَا طِيبَةً He said, "What is what is what is this tiba?" And he said, "The guy left. Okay, he left me alone, and that's all." He said, "The next day, I went to my home. I went back in my bed. I laid down. I fell asleep. He came back to me in my dream, and he said, "Uhfur barra." He said, go dig up what barra means something to be like something very pious. He said, go dig up this very pious, you know, blessed thing, right? Uh, And he asked him in his dream, he said, what is barra? He said, what is this? And he's like, he left. He said, so the third day I went home, I went to sleep again. And he came back to me in my dream. فَقَالَ لِي أُحْفُرْ the root word of madnuna comes from danana, which literally means, you know, something to be uh, coveted, something that's coveted, something that, you know, something that somebody has, but they hide it, okay? They hold it back. They don't share it with other people. Uh, so he said, go dig this thing that is coveted, some, this thing that is very valuable, go dig it up. And he asked him, he said, what is madmuna? And he said, he left in my dream. He said, so the fourth night, I went back, went to my house, went to my bed, I went to sleep, and the angel came back to me. This, this individual came back to me, right, if we will. Um, and he says, go dig up Zamzam. And he asked him, he said, what is Zamzam? Because remember, Zamzam has been buried for hundreds of years now. He doesn't even know what Zamzam is, you know. He's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. You know, he explained to me, uh, you know, uh, and he says, he says, Zamzam is, is, is that thing that will never expire. 
in his dream, you know, this this person tells him Zamzam will never expire, it'll never run out, and it will always be very abundant. It can give water to the largest of groups that are visiting the Hujjaj, you know, and he said it's Bain al Farthi Waddam, which is like an expression that the Arab used to use uh, to, to represent something very pure. And we see this expression even used in the Quran. Right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he talks about the cow and the milk of the cow This is very interesting He says That between the blood and the excrement Between the blood and literally the feces right, of the cow You have Lebanon khalisa You have a milk that's very pure a milk that's very fulfilling to people who drink it. Now we understand, you know, there's a scientific miracle behind this, right? Doctors, scientists, and, you know, even experts, you know, in that field, they've told us that there's a scientific miracle to be observed just within this ayah alone, right? That, you know, this, this is a Qur'an and its miraculous nature pointing to some phenomenon within, you know, biology that, you know, that's how milk exists within the animal, within within the cow, right? That it's between blood and feces, the excrement. And at the same time, you know, what's even more interesting, something that also, you know, needs to be like really highlighted here is that the Qur'an, you know, uh, you know, something like the Qur'an would have been completely like to to speak about this. For somebody to hear this 1400 years ago in the Qur'an, they would have thought like this is crazy. Like people have been got, like gone like off the wall right now. Like what's happening? So to speak about this today now, that's something that's okay. We understand that. But 1400 years ago where they don't have this, you know, scientific, you know, evidence and whatnot, right? It's, it's just, it leaves people completely mesmerized, you know, when they hear the, the, these things, you know? So it completely sounded like somebody lost their mind when this ayah or this verse was, was recited. So they didn't know what they were talking about. And the thing about Quranic language is, yeah, it's a miracle, uh, but you know, it's foretelling of a scientific fact and a miracle, right? It's foretelling of a scientific fact, thousand you know years before people would even discover and know this, before people would even understand this, it's already sharing this type of information, you know. But at the same time, the Quran is not the talk of insane people. Ma anta bi ni'mati rabbika bi majnoon. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran One of the first things that Allah tells the Prophet Is when the Quran is revealed Understand and realize And take note of the fact that It's not making you crazy The things that you say that are going to be like Wild to people That they've never heard before Something completely new In a language that they understand But they've never even been able to Communicate it in this, this beautiful way It doesn't make you crazy People will call you crazy. They will think you're crazy, but it does not make you crazy, right? It's not going to make you sound like a crazy person if they really truly open up their, their hearts, their minds, and their eyes, right? So the real miracle of the Quran here is the fact that it's a miracle upon a miracle, subhanAllah, okay? That it does foretell a scientific fact, but it does so in a way that it's still, you know, comprehensible, it's comprehended by people at that time. That's the interesting thing. 
Like they're use, the Quran is using the language of the people, something that is an expression, uh, something that people knew, right? Uh, to elaborate and to hone in on a scientific fact, right? So even the usage of the language itself, that's, that's, that's the miracle, way, the, the way that it draws on it, the, the figure of speech uh, that's, that's you know, uh, presented in that manner. So that again, that's the, the real miracle. Uh, it's understood at that time, but within the, the figure of speech, it's using, you know, uh, a specific figure of speech, subhanAllah. Like within, within that talk that they understand, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is using things and examples that they understand even more to, to provide with them, uh, you know, the scientific uh, miracle. So he's narrating and he says between the feces and the blood, again, because this is an expression that's used in classical Arabic, uh, to say something is very, very pure. Zamzam is very pure. Okay. This is the, this, this figure, this angel that's visiting Abdul Muttalib, as some of the scholars say. So then he says, when you, you know, uh, he says that you're going to find it. And, and has had how you're going to find it? He said, look for anthills. Okay, in his dream, he's explaining to him where he's going to find Zamzam. He said, look for anthills. And where are you going to find these anthills? You'll find them. You know, where there's a lot of crows and all of these crows are pecking their, you know, beaks in the ground. You know, he's like, this is, it's going to be in this location. And he gives him a very vivid, you know, clear message. There's going to be a whole bunch of anthills and a whole bunch of crows that are going to be pecking their beaks in the specific area of this region and, and uh, into the ground. Okay. So after he tells him that, he said, you know, he tells him about Zemzem. He said, it's water that's never going to run out. It could feed the largest group of Hujjaj people visiting. He said, number three, it's extremely pure. It's great. It's beautiful. It's amazing. You know, it's like milk, uh, you know, and it's purity. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sense of nourishment. But at the same time, you know, where, where, are, the, where are the physical signs that you're going to find Zamzam? He tells him about Zamzam, the, the, the benefit of it. But now he goes on to tell him the physical signs that he's, where he's going to find it. Okay. And he says, again, to look for the anthills and look for the crows, you know, pecking their beaks into the ground. He said, that's where the sign, that's the sign, that's where you're going to find them. So basically, uh, uh, what basically happens to Abdul Muttalib, uh, he takes one of his sons, Al-Harith, and he goes and he finds this place. He's able to find the anthills. Uh, he's able to find the crows pecking their beaks, you know, in that location on the ground. And he says, this must be the place where Zamzam is. It must be here. So he starts digging and he starts telling his son, he's like, come on, you know, talking to Al-Harith, dig with me. And they literally start to unearth certain things. You know, some of the things that they come across were like are like swords made out of pure gold, you know, uh, big swords. Uh, gold and silver with jewels on them, and 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 and, and shields and and, and mishadafish, all of these these types of things that were buried hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And they keep digging, and they keep unearthing bricks and bricks of gold, coins and silver, a lot of wealth, right? A lot of money. And they finally realize like, they're like, "This is it. This is the well of Zemzem." They're knocking on top of what now is the well that was, was sealed. 
So now while this is going on, while they're digging, they obviously start to attract a lot of attention. People start to see this. They start to uh, become aware of what's, what's happening. In the narrations, they actually say Abdul Muttalib and his son, they, were start, they would start to scream, takbir, takbir, like they, they, they found this well. So people are listening, people are seeing what's, what's happening. And now people start to congregate around them. And they realize, you know, you know, something's going on here. Let's go see what's what's up. You know, Arab. Every time there's an incident, everybody has to be there. You know, everybody needs to see what's up. And you know, they go, and they're all around this this well with Abdul Muttalib and 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 his son. And the leaders and the tribes, they you know, they they start coming. From the different, uh, you know, areas and the different tribes, and again, they only thought Zamzam to be a myth. They didn't know that it was uh, this was the truth, right? They thought this was like some sort of uh, fairy tale, okay? And he said, uh, you know, uh, we've heard about this, but we didn't actually know that it, you know, it exists. This is the uh, this is the buried treasure that we've always heard about, right? It's 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 actually here. And now a bunch of the leaders, you know, they, they run up and they say, this is the well of our forefather. They're talking about who? Ismail, our great, 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 great grandfather. This is his well. So if this is the well of our forefather, then we all have a right to this well. It's not just for you. It's for all of us. So you don't get to dig up this well. You don't get to do this. We're going we're gonna to do it together and we're going to get it together and we're going to split it, Right. All of us have a right here. And now all of a sudden it becomes, it turns into this pride thing, right? We didn't even know this existed, but then, you know, it came to our attention. But now it's about pride. It's our forefathers, our great, 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 great grandfather, you know, as well. This is ours, okay? It became all about ego. Who dug up the well? Who's going to get that clout? Who's going to get that fame, right? Who found this? Who unearthed this, this, this great legend of, of the well, right? So now everybody has their hand you know, uh, like, uh, you know, the, they have, they want their piece of the pie here, basically, uh, in this situation. So Abdul Muttalib, he says, no. Everybody back up, right? He says, I'm not going to give it away that easy. It's not going to be that easy. He says, this was informed to me directly. It came to me in my dream to find this place, right? I was shown where this well was. I was inspired where this well was in my dream. And that inspiration led me here directly. So it's my responsibility. I'm going to take care of this and I'm not backing down from this. So Abdul Muttalib, he said, there's a very wise man. He's like, this is what we'll do. There's a very wise man. He's a very generous man, right? Um, you know, well, actually before that, I want to, like, Abdul Muttalib himself, keep in mind, you know, something that we, we, we kind of skim past. He himself was very wise, Abdul Muttalib. He himself was, you know, and we're going to come to learn this later on, inshallah. He himself was a very generous man, a very kind man, a, a very great leader, right? But at the same time, you know, he's holding firm to, uh, you know, uh, you know, to his ground on this issue, to his belief on this issue. And he says, no, I was divinely inspired by this and I'm, and, and I'm the one who dug this, you know, this grave, or I'm sorry, this well up. This is my task. It's been given to me. And I'm not backing away. So they continue to fight and argue. And they come to terms and they say, that's fine. 
but let's go to this third party. We need to bring a third party in, involved in the situation. Okay. One of the narrations says that this per- third party was uh, a kahin, a soothsayer. Uh, nevertheless, yani, there's this one person over there and he's the one who will mediate between us. He's going to he's gonna, he's gonna mediate between us. He's going to make this decision as to what we'll do. So Abdul Muttalib, he says, fine, that's okay. Whatever works for you. So they set out to go to this person who lives very far away. They're traveling now. Some of the narrations, uh, you know, actually talk about uh, now that they're set on this journey, what ends up happening on this journey uh, is that, uh, you know, he lives very, very far away and along the way they start to become very thirsty. Uh, they can't find any water, right? They're in the middle of the desert. There's, they run out of supplies and they had taken them, you know, uh, in the middle of the desert, in the middle of nowhere, nobody around them, no water on them. There's no people. They don't see any travelers. They don't see any any caravans. And they're continuing to go in, you know, to travel. And all of a sudden, people start to pass out. You know, they're falling down. People are getting sick. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a situation now. People are dying of thirst. So what do they do? And they start to say, you know, let's not leave, you know, uh, you know, subhanAllah. They're like, let's not leave this burden on other people. They don't wanna. They don't wanna help. You know, um, they don't want. There's, there's, there's no water in sight. Uh, so now they, you know, one of the traditions that they had actually it was very interesting. It's, I guess you could call it a tradition uh, or a practice at that time when a caravan was traveling and they'd be facing death. Because of this, you know, uh, this heart, these harsh conditions, right? And they're in the middle of the desert. Uh, it's not the first time that this is happening. This is something that's common. When they travel, they don't have, you know, they're not traveling in cars and fast traveling. It takes weeks and months to travel from place to place. So this is something very common, uh, you know, to run out of water, to run out of supplies, to die, you know, on, uh, in, this, in this journey, right? It's like how common is it to get a flat tire, you know, on the freeway, right? This is something that's, that's, that's common, right? Uh, so as shocking as it seems... Um, you know, they're aware of this predicament. It's not anything new, uh, you know, of them being in the middle of the desert. Um, it was, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that they would do uh, was basically they would dig up their own grave, okay? And they would basically, when they would lose all of their energy and they would start to pass out, like in and out of consciousness, they would go and they would lay down in their grave themselves and they would wait for themselves to die because they didn't want to have, you know, to burden anybody else with burying their body. Um, they didn't want their body to be picked at with, you know, by the animals. So they would literally go and, you know, build, dig a grave for themselves and, and, and lay in their own grave, right? And subhanAllah, this was a practice that was done. And even some of the scholars, you know, they talk about it in more recent history. Uh, you know, death is... a uh, Death is, and this is a little tangent I'm going on. Death is, uh, it's real, obviously. You know, and Allah and Rasulullah He forbid us from visiting the grave. Right? He said, I used to uh, forbid you from visiting the graves, but I went back on that. Uh, he said, so visit them. Because it reminds you of death. 
It reminds you of where you're going to end up, that every single person will die. Every single person will face death and will experience this, 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 uh, you know, this situation. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't say they will die. Allah just says they will taste death. That meaning death has a taste to it. You will either, it would either be a very sweet taste or a very bitter one. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us, right? And some of the scholars, they say, you know, visit the graves often um, because it will put things into perspective. They will say, uh, you know, some of them even have literally sat in a grave before. And they said, this is where I was created. I was created from this earth. I will return from this uh, to this earth and I will be resurrected again from this earth. Right? Uh, to put just to put things in perspective, you know. Of of uh, imagine you go right now, and one of you guys is just laying in a grave. You say, "Hey, what's up?" You know, <laughs> it's like it's it's weird, but at the same time, it really it's it's surreal. It's surreal, and I challenge you all to to. I mean, maybe not lay in the grave. You might get arrested, but but I challenge you just to go to uh, the graveyard and have. Have an experience, right, on your own, right, besides going, following a janazah and whatnot. Just go to the graveyard and make dua for the Muslimin. But experience that. You know, something interesting, the, the Sahaba, they said when we would look for Rasulullah, when we would try to find him, he would either be in one of three places. He was, we would always go first. When we couldn't find him, we'd go to the masjid. If he wasn't in the masjid, we would go to the grave. And if he wasn't in the grave, we would go to the marketplace. You know, and somebody who hears this is like, okay, why was he in the grave that much? You know, that's a very depressing life to always just be in the graveyard. But there was nobody more happy than Rasulullah There was nobody more content than Rasulullah And not only was he happy, he brought happiness onto other people. How could somebody that you can imagine, you know, just being living like a, a big part of their life, a, bar, a part of their time just in the graveyard, just be a happy person? And it shows us that this is what balance is. When we are to live a balanced life, it's not what balance means to us. What I feel is balance. Ah, this is enough religiosity for me. I can only handle one halqa a week, right? I can only handle Hassan talking so much. You know, but it was more of what Rasulullah defined as balanced. That's how we live a balanced life. Not our own version, uh, our own comprehension of what's going on in society. You know, people dress this way. Islam tells me to dress this way, so I'm going to find a middle path, right? People do this. Islam tells me to do this. I'm going to find my own way, right? It's not our own comprehension of what balance is. It's what balance is. And how it looks like via Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam because he lived the most balanced life. You know? So again, the grave is a very uh, a very surreal place and an eye-opener for all of us. So this was a practice that they had. They would dig, dig their own grave and they would lay in their own grave. Um, you know, because again, they didn't want the animals to pick at them and they didn't want people to be burdened with, with having to bury them. Uh, you know, in these in these types of situations. So now, 
everybody starts digging their own grave. And the narration actually mentions, you know, they started laying down in their graves. Some of them started passing out. Some of them passed away. Uh, some of them fading in and out of consciousness. Uh, what ends up happening is Abdul Muttalib, he passes out for a little bit. Then he wakes up and he tells them, everybody get up, get up. He said, we're not giving up that easy. He said, I, I just have this gut feeling that there's water very close to us and it's not too far. We're going to find it. So he rallies everybody up, motivates them. He's like, okay, let's, let's all get out of these graves that we dug for ourselves and let's start moving forward because there's water that I, I just feel is, is there. We can start going there. As, as difficult as it's going to be, they move forward. Abdul Muttalib goes forward until he finally reaches a place uh, where he stops his animal and, you know, uh, he kind of kicks, you know, his animal a little bit and his animal raises up his front legs and he hits his feet on the ground and literally uh, from that ground, a spring shoots up out of, out of uh, the earth right there and right then. So they start digging up and they unearth this amazing well and it literally saves their lives. So these people now, they see what, this, what happens. Like, they're in shock. Okay, how did he know this? How did he know to have his animal kick at this location? What, what's going on, right? Uh, because, again, you know, they were, going, they were going and they were traveling there because they wanted to, they had a fight with Abdul Muttalib. They, there was a disagreement. We're, we're, we're getting our way, Right? But he ends up just saving all of their lives. You know. So they say no. They, they stop right there. They said the one that showed you. You know. Uh, the words of that narration. You know. Uh, go that. The one that showed you. Where this well was. Must have been the one that showed you. Where that well was. The well of Zamzam. Right. The one that showed you where this water came from, this earth, this, this spring, uh, you know, gushed from the earth, is the same person that showed you where uh, Zamzam came from. So they're like, we got no beef. Khalas, <laughs> it's yours, right? No questions asked. You dig up the well, you're the custodian of the well, you're the caretaker of the well, you're responsible for the well. We're sorry we ever argued with you. We're sorry we ever doubted you. Let's go back to Mecca. Abdul Muttalib, you know, along with his sons, they dig up the well of, of Zamzam, they solidify the well, and basically that is how the well of Zamzam was established. And from there on it was kept, and it was a source of pride for them, right? That, you know, this is what they would use, you know, this is, the, even it's even mentioned that when Abdul Muttalib finally did solidify, he built the wall around the well, and he was able to establish the well, uh, and while he was doing this, he recited some beautiful poetry because he was a, he was a big poet, Abdul Muttalib, right? Uh, he was a very eloquent man in his speech. And he and and as we talked about, remember when somebody does like nice poetry, what do they do? They hang it up where? And the Kaaba, like when it's like a it's like a it's like a flex, you know? When you when you when you have like a nice poetry, you know they're gonna show everybody, right? So. Uh, the gist of what he said, basically, Abdul Muttalib, as he was, you know, digging up the well and, and, and building this wall around it, he said, Oh Allah, you are the king and you are the one worthy of praise, my lord, my master. You are the one who originally creates and you're the one who brings back. 
You are the one who gives strength and steadfastness, and from you comes wealth, and from you comes the opposite of wealth, which is you know starvation and poverty. So you're the one that solidifies and strengthens, and the one you know, and 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 only from you comes wealth and wealth and poverty. If you wish, you inspire as you will, meaning you know you give direction to whomsoever you want, whenever you want to give that person the understanding or the knowledge of you know, where treasure and where wealth is buried. So today, explain to me, show me what you want me to do because I have made an oath and I promise that I will do as I've promised to you and I will do as you have instructed me to do. So my Lord, tell me what uh, it is that you want me to do and I will not return back until I have completed your task. This is what he recites, and in Arabic it's very beautiful, but for the sake of time, I'll just give you the English version. This is what he recites, um, you know, uh, so beautifully, right? After he dug up that, that Zamzam, he built that wall around it, and he got it ready, and he said basically, you know, this is like the grand opening, right? He recited this poetry, uh, you know, and, and, and he's telling Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I've done this because you've allowed me to do this, right? It was through your instruction. So now Allah, tell me what you want me to do. What is the role that you want me to play? What purpose do I have? You know, why did I dig up Zamzam? What is the purpose of this? Okay. And 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 basically he made this dua. This this poetry is like, it's almost like a dua, right? And he said, that's why I said some of the scholars, you know, um, they list Abdul Muttalib in the list of people who are monotheists. They believed in At-Tawheed. Right in La ilaha illallah, some of the scholars they say that about Abdul Muttalib, right? Who are the people that uh, they were still worshiping one Allah, one God, right? It's because of narratives like this, narrations like this, uh, that we hear and 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 we learn from. Because even in their speech, you can tell that this is a person of Tawheed, right? Uh, this is a person that 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 believed in in, in one God. Uh, so. I, again, I told you that when he dug up this well, he found these golden swords and he found all the silver and stuff. What did he do with all that? One of the narrations tells us that he basically melted it down and he built one of the doors of the Kaaba with all of that gold and all of that silver that he was able to unearth. He melted it down and he built one of the doors of the Kaaba. So he's also one of the first people to adorn the Kaaba, Right? Uh, in such an elaborate, such a you know extravagant fashion, but again, it's not something that's reprehensible, but it's something that's recommended, something that's admirable. Why? Because he's doing it out of love. He's doing it out of affection, and he's uh, and out of out of respect for a sacred uh, you know sanctuary, the first house to ever be built on the face of this earth. You know the Kaaba, right? So this is this is the 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 history uh, of of the well of Zamzam, and this is the first key incidence, um, you know, one of the main first legacies basically Abdul Muttalib left behind uh, that he was the one who unearthed who dug up uh, the well of Zamzam that had been lost for for you know very very long time, um, almost uh, lost from all of the people forever people so much so they forgot about it right. And why am I telling you this? What's the significance of this? You know, we're like, okay, we spent so much time talking about water and Zamzam, right? What is the significance of all of this? Uh, number one, for the obvious reasons, we know Zamzam and we know the role that Zamzam plays. 
we know the origins of of Zamzam and and that it happened through a miraculous incident and it was something that was a command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala something of the family of the prophet uh وسلم, uh, coming from the prophet Ismail uh right that's how this uh this well came into existence uh was through some very like a, a religious significant incident right and at the same time we know that even till today our tradition the tradition uh that rasulullah taught us through that tradition that the well of zamzam is something that has great religious spiritual significance and value it's literally part of the ritual uh and the practice of you know when you do hajj and umrah it's not from the fara'id um, but it's from the Sunan, the things that are recommended practices when you perform Hajj and Umrah, uh, you know, to go there and to drink Zamzam. And Zamzam is a part of that ritual. Uh, it's an act of worship. Uh, at the same time, Rasulullah, uh, through multiple narrations, he tells us that the water of Zamzam serves whatever purpose you drink for. You drink it for, for whatever reason you drink it for, it serves you with that purpose. Whatever purpose that you have in mind, whatever intention you have in mind in your heart, when you drink the water of Zamzam, it serves that purpose, meaning that it will bring to fruition the intention that you have. Right? Not only that, but a very beautiful, very interesting hadith that Rasulullah he tells us, you know, Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu, he's telling a person, he's teaching a person the etiquette of drinking Zamzam. And he says, when you drink Zamzam, you face the Qibla and you say Bismillah and you drink in three sips. Meaning that you take three breaths in between, right? It's not something that you chug, you know, you don't chug Zamzam. But you drink it, you, there's a certain etiquette of how you drink Zamzam. And he said in the last and final step, uh, he says, uh, you know, you drink till you're, you're, you're full. You drink till you're full, right? So take breaths in between while you drink, but make sure that you drink it abundantly, right? Drink it till you're full. Uh, and when you're done, uh, you know Ibn Abbas. He's again. He's teaching somebody the etiquette of 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 of, of drinking this water, this blessed water. And he said, he said, why till you're full? Because the messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he said one of the signs, one of the distinct signs uh, between or the difference between us and the hypocrites is that they don't drink the water of Zamzam until they're full. Okay. Something very interesting, but it's really deep, right? That, you know, what Rasulullah is, is, is telling us here. He's seeing a clear sign between us and the hypocrites is, you know, um, is that they don't drink till you're full. What does this mean? I'm not saying you go and you, when you go to Mecca and Medina and you see somebody drink like, you know, a little bit and be like, ah, oh, I know who you are now, you know? No, that's not what that means. But uh, it means it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a spiritual thing. It's a it's a it's a self reflection thing, right? That if somebody is a true believer, it's basically telling you that the difference between belief and hypocrisy, one of the key differences between between the two, is skepticism and conviction, right? So replace iman with, uh, uh, you know, replace iman and nifaq with conviction and skepticism, right? Iman is conviction. Belief is conviction. A believer is somebody who's convinced that when the messenger, uh, he says, Zamzam is what you drink it for, that for whatever you need, you drink, uh, need that you drink Zamzam for, if it's to make dua for uh, your uh, sickness or whatever, you're convinced that this is a cure. It is a belief. It's a conviction. And somebody who doesn't have is, is skeptical about that. Right? 
I don't know, just water at the end of the day. Really, is this going to help me? It's 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 conv- it's it's you being convict uh, convinced that this is this is a heal for you in that or for whatever purpose that that you want or whatever need that you want uh ta'ala right uh, so again don't be that person that drinks like oh zamzam alhamdulillah you know mashallah it's cool and all but what 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 about it right Understand that there is a, a you know, a religious a significance behind this and that Rasulullah only speaks the truth and only speaks revelation, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, right? And this was a miracle from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that, you know, still the well, the well of Zamzam is gushing till today, you know, till today it's still coming from the, from the ground. Um, uh, and this is uh, something very, very beautiful.